Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. I'd like you to come in your Bibles with me if you'll come back to John chapter 6 and we're going to continue on from John chapter 5 where we were last week and we looked at that incredible last section of John 5 where Jesus speaks about his identity and his divinity and uh, the fact that he is actually God in the flesh, this irrefutable, beautiful dialogue where he uh, declares himself in front of those unbelieving religious leaders of the day. And now we're going to move into John chapter 6 and this incredible miracle that occurs where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And even if you're not a churchgoer, you may have heard of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is 5,000 men, so very likely with women and children involved, there could have been upwards of 15 to 20,000 people that were fed off five little pieces of bread and two fish. Now that's a miracle. He directs the disciples to go out and to feed the people that are there, sit them down on the lawn, start feeding them. And do you know what happened after everybody had had enough to eat? They collected up how many baskets? Twelve baskets of food were collected and left over. They started with only five loaves and two fish. This incredible miracle. And Jesus Christ again revealing himself to be the God who has power over all of his creation. It's a wonderful miracle, a sign, a sign that points to something, a sign that says, look over here. Don't look at the miracle itself, but look at who the miracle is pointing to. And it's pointing to the reality that the man Jesus that you read about in the book of John is actually God himself walking amongst us, God in the flesh, holy man and holy God. When you see him speak, it's God himself speaking When you see him touch someone, you see the heart of God as he touches that person. What an honor it is to have this book in front of us and to be able to open it up and see the Lord Jesus Christ and to see God walking amongst us and how he loves us so dearly. Well, it's been an interesting week for us. We have a grandson, but it's also been an interesting week for our church. On Monday, we had a funeral on Monday for Mrs. Fatchen, Mrs. Betty Fatchen, an incredible lady. And really, it feeds so well into what we're looking at in God's Word today. A lady who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and who believed upon him with all of her heart. She was not a big lady. She was not a loud lady. She was not somebody to push herself forward. But the reality is, when you looked at her life, it oozed that she believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. She trusted him with her heart. She believed upon him with her head. And it showed that she had come to a place where she had asked him to forgive her of her sins, that she believed upon him for his death and much more importantly for his resurrection. That's what it is to believe. It's one thing to have a mental assent, but we need to believe God not only with our heads but with our hearts. It needs to be a belief that goes beyond just saying that he's a good man and he's a prophet and he does wonderful things to recognizing that in fact he is God and that he did die in our place and on the third day he rose again. And that belief needs to be so divine that it changes the way we live our lives. John chapter 20 and verse 31 says this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
This is the whole purpose of the book of John as we read through these beautiful miracles and these wonderful signs that point towards the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole point of that is to lead you to a place where you recognize that Jesus Christ is God, that you recognize and see him as your saviour and that you are moved to believe upon him by the power of the Holy Spirit. An amazing book, don't you think? Just that, that is incredible. I want us to go back to where this all started, to, to get a comprehension of what's going on here. Because this actually began back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And we learn right back in the book of Genesis that we were made by God. That we were not made by God for ourselves, but we were made by God for God. We were made to enjoy God and all the pleasures that God has made. And hasn't God made many, many pleasures? Top of the list is like food. What an awesome creation. God could have made us not to need food, but then he made food and he made it so colourful. Who would have thought to make capsicums green, red and yellow? They look so nice in a stir fry. God has made many, many pleasures for us to enjoy. God made us to enjoy him. God made us to bring him glory. That's not the end of the story, is it? We mucked it up. God didn't design the world to be like this. We broke God's law. We broke God's heart. We brought judgment upon ourselves. We brought death, spiritual death, to the world. You read about this a little bit further on in Genesis. Having lived in the paradise of the garden, we read this dreadful story. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And you're thinking, well, that's not such a big deal. That's what fruit on a tree is for, is to eat. It's even better if it belongs to someone else. It tastes sweeter again. But God had clearly told Adam and Eve that they were not to eat of this tree, but they willfully disobeyed God and not just the woman, but you will see the man standing emasculated behind his wife, willing her on, fully participating in her willful disobedience before the living God. And this willful disobedience before God brought death to all humanity, brought us into a place of spiritual death. John chapter 1, or 1 John 2.16, gives us a bit of an indication of what the spiritual death looks like. If we, we come right forward into the time that we live in now, this shows us how this spiritual death that has been upon all of humanity in this broken world, this is what it looks like. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the... This was not God's design. This is man compensating for their stupidity. This is man trying to compensate for spiritual death. This is man trying to compensate for not being connected with God anymore and not being able to find his self-worth and his significance and his security in his relationship with God anymore because now that relationship has been broken because of our sinfulness. And so in an attempt to 
find security and significance and self-worth, we look to the world around us, the material things that are perishing just as we are perishing. This is not what the Father designed. Spiritually dead means that we cannot see Jesus for who he really is. Being spiritually dead means you can't see that he is infinitely precious. We're totally disconnected. You cannot see that he is actually your life. You cannot see that he is actually the source of our security. He is meant to be the source of our self-worth. He's meant to be the source of our significance as we, as we gaze upon his beauty. As we remember what he has done for us, that's where we find our identity. We don't find our identity in ourselves and the things that we have made with our hands. Our identity, our security, our significance and self-worth is found in our God who created us. So we battle to fill our lives, not understanding that Jesus is the only way. And it's, it is as... That little story, the saying goes, we have definitely put the cart before the horse. We have got it all back to front. We, we delight ourselves in that which God has created rather than our, delighting ourselves in the God who is the creator. We've got it, and man, have we suffered for it. It leads to destruction, broken marriages, broken hearts, broken lives. Isaiah explains it this way. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. And Isaiah, in a sense, is, is looking down the channel of time and, and telling us we should find our delight and our strength and our hope and our peace and our joy and our relationship with God, not the temporal things around us. We spend our lives trying to fill it, but we are never, ever satisfied. And the moment that, do you do this? I, the thrill of buying something. I, like I, I get online and I compare prices and think about a TV because that's the funnest thing to buy a TV. It's got to be bigger than your son's. I've got three sons and I know the exact size of their TVs. So my TV is a little bit, even if I have to heat it and stretch it, it's just bigger than their TV. And the fun that it is to go online and look at JB Hi-Fi and then compare that with the good guys. And then the other thing, rather than just going online, I like to drive down there as well and, and walk along the line and stand in front of the biggest TV and pretend, because at my age, the beauty thing is when I walk into a store, they think I've got enough money to buy something. They are dumb. And oddly enough, sometimes actually when I do go ahead and buy that TV and I bring it home, the joy soon disappears because I'm, I'm missing the chase. And then I'm looking for something else to satisfy me. This is really a picture of our lives where we try to fill it up with stuff, not realizing that Jesus Christ is the only thing that will truly, truly satisfy us. Have a look in John chapter 6. No, I beg your pardon. Come a little bit further with me on, and I want to jump back, and we'll go to uh, John 6 in a moment. Let me explain the setting again. Here we are, we've seen the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus Christ is revealing to people that, in fact, he is God in the flesh. He revealing himself that he is the one who can truly satisfy. 
but a bit like uh, you might remember John Denver, if you're my age. <laughs> He's a wonderful singer. And if you haven't heard of John Denver, get on YouTube. Your life will just be turned upside down. It's awesome. Wonderful singer, and he was a pantheist. He believed that we should worship the creation. He didn't understand that we needed to worship the creator. And we can make the same mistake. We're continuing here when we look into John chapter 6. The people are worshipping what they get from the sign. They're worshipping the miracle rather than realising it's actually pointing to their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, 29, 26 and 29 say this. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw a sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. This really, I think this really feeds into our flesh. This is, I, if I was there, I would have said, please, Lord Jesus, tell me the five things that I've got to do to believe and the 10 things that I shouldn't do. Just give me a list so that I can go through the list and, and tick off the things that I've done and tick off the things that I shouldn't be doing so that I know that I'm absolutely right with you. God, tell me what it means. Tell me what I must do. Tell me what work I must do to be right with you. And he comes back with, you must believe. He doesn't say you must really, really, really believe or you must believe this much. He just says that you must believe. This is the work of God. Believing in the one whom he has sent. Believing his teachings about faith. Believing that he is essential to our lives. Believing and trusting in him as the object of our lives. We are not just people of faith. We are people who put our faith in Jesus Christ. You see that we have an object of faith, not just this high thing in the clouds that we believe, something that's not tangible. We believe in the historical Lord Jesus Christ, whom we see on the pages of Scripture, fully God, fully man, who paid the price for our sins. Wonderful. What it means to do the work of God is to, is to cultivate belief. Cultivate love. Cultivate a zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that means is that we need to be growing in our love and our appreciation of the Lord Jesus all the time. This is essential for us to come and express believing faith, to express belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But isn't this true for those of us that have been part of the Lord Jesus Christ for many years? Isn't it easy for us to move to a place where we stop believing in him and stop being in awe of him and stop trusting him daily for our things and we start to use him as an object to get what we want? For those of you that are married, as I've been married for 34 years, you'll know it's very easy at times to treat one another as a means to getting something met rather than loving that person for who they are. It's very, very easy as a believer to move to a place where we use Jesus as a means to getting what we want and forget that actually he is our life and that we ought to worship him and trust him with all of our hearts. 
John chapter 6 and verse 35 says this. Jesus said to them, this is just like, this is knock your socks off stuff. I just, this is amazing. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever believes in me will find satisfaction that will never run away. They will find satisfaction that will never come to an end. The person who believes in me and trusts in me will be wholly satisfied. I will meet their deepest needs. That's an amazing claim. An amazing claim. A claim that goes much deeper than perhaps we realise because for the people that were standing there at the time, the religious leaders, when Jesus said those words, I am, they immediately went back to Exodus and understood that he was saying that I am the God who created the heavens and the earth. I am the God who fed the nation of Israel in the wilderness. I am God. Is it no wonder they wanted to kill him? They couldn't comprehend that at all. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 says, God said to Moses, Moses said to God prior to this, God had sent him back to Egypt to rescue the nation of Israel. And Moses, and as we would have done, he feared going back that he would lose his life. And he said to God, what, whom shall I say has sent me? What will I say to them? They're just going to think it's me, Moses. This is not going to really carry a lot of weight. And then God responds to him and says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am who I am. This name, I am, carries the, the name Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord. It's God's personal name. Go to them and tell them my personal name. Tell them that Jehovah sent you. Tell them that Yahweh sent you. Tell them that the Lord sent you. The one who fed the nation in the wilderness and gave them manna in the wilderness. God is saying here, he is the I am, and it's a very, very tight way that it's said. It, it rests on itself. He doesn't say, I am because I've done this, or I am because I've done this, or I am because I own this, or I am because I have this. See, when I say to you that I'm Jeff Littlefair, I'm Jeff Littlefair, you just think that I'm a dope. A little bit of a moron. Because in reality, I would have to say to you, I'm Jeff Littlefair and I'm married to Carol and I've got four kids and I've got five, six grandchildren now and I've got this and I've got... And I would have to try and describe to you myself. But God just says, I am who I am. Incredible authority in that. Secondly, what it's saying to the people is that I am consistent and I always have been consistent as I always will be. I am who I am. God doesn't lean on outside sources for his strength. God doesn't look to outside things to build up his character or to define himself. God doesn't have to point to someone else and say, I'm connected with them, therefore I am something. God just says, I am the I am. It's uh, altogether wonderful. And so Jesus says to us that he is the I am, that he is Jehovah, that he is Yahweh, that he is the Lord. It can be spoken this way, I be who I be. I am not defined by outside forces. I am consistent. I have always been what I will always be. 
believe in me. We go further on in God's word and we read in there, coming down into John chapter 6, 51 to 53. Jesus goes on to say that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give to you, give you for the life of the world is my, what does it say? Is my flesh. So Jesus said to them in verse 53, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, this, that's a pretty hard thing to read, isn't it? That would have been a very, very hard thing for them to hear. They may not have had the framework as we have the framework now. We're on the other side of the cross. We've seen Jesus die and we've seen him give his body and we've seen him shed his blood and we've seen him go into the tomb and on the third day he rose again. So when we look at this saying in the scriptures, we're looking back through all of that context and it sort of resonates with us. These people were looking the other way. The cross was yet to come. The resurrection was yet to come. And this saying must have been very, very difficult for them to comprehend. When we look at the communion, the communion speaks about, I give my body for you. But in this saying, he's talking about, I give my flesh for you. So I don't think it's speaking so much about communion here. I think it speaks wholly about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. I think it speaks wholly about the fact that when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and we are baptised into the body of Christ. We become one with Him. And that is an experience that every believer goes through when they believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea of being in Christ, how does God express that? terminology to us. In the New Testament, the word in Christ is used many, many times. Over 50 times we see the terminology of in Christ. You are in Christ. And this wonderful truth of being in the Lord Jesus Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But for these folks, as they believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they were believing that this is how God saves. This is how God forgives. This is how God gives life. This is how God brings the resurrection. This is how God moves. This is how God heals. This is all happening because we are in Christ. And he was saying to these people, you need to believe upon me as though you were eating my flesh and drinking my blood. You need to believe upon me with all of your heart, mind and strength because I am your life. There's no sort of halfway with this, is there? There's no softness with this. Jesus Christ is talking about life and death. He's not saying, well, you can come this far and it'll be okay. Or you can come this far and it'll be okay. You can hang on to your prejudice. You can hang on to your bigotry. You can hang on to your sin. You can hang on to your unbelief and it'll be okay. He's saying, no. You need to die to yourself and be alive to Christ. You need to recognize that without me, you have nothing. You need to recognize that without me, you are still trapped in your sin from the Garden of Eden. And the penalty for that is death, eternal separation from God. And no matter how good a job you've done at renovating your life and making yourself comfortable, no matter how much you've been able to gather around yourself so that you are able to defend your borders and have a certain sort of happiness in life, you will eventually have to confront me. 
the one who holds the keys to life and death. And you need to believe upon me for life, for forgiveness, because apart from me, you have nothing. You need to eat of my flesh. You need to drink of my blood. You need to recognize that without me dying on the cross and shedding my blood for you, you are trapped in your sins and the penalty for your sins is eternal damnation. You start to get the the meaning of what he was trying to say here. And these religious people did not want that. They were happy to follow him while he was doing the miracle. In fact, even when Jesus miraculously went to the other side of the lake, they followed him over there as well. And he confronts them. He says, the only reason you're following me is because you want me to feed you. You want me to feed you so that you don't have to work to buy food. This is an agrarian society. So these people probably spent 80% of their time gathering food or producing food so that they could survive. A little bit different for us today. And so this man, Jesus, when he shows up and does this wonderful miracle where he produces this much food in the twinkling of an eye, they're thinking, this is awesome. This means that I can spend 80% of my time on the couch watching YouTube. This means that I can be sitting on the couch just relaxing and Jesus can just be making bread all day long for me. This means the money that I normally spent on bread, I can buy a new TV and then wait for a century or two when they develop TVs. You get what I mean? But Jesus says, no, that's not how it is. You need to see that my miracles were pointing towards a sign. They were a sign pointing to the fact that I am the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they need to move you to a place where you will believe upon me as the source of life, the forgiveness of sins, I want to ask you today, are you using Jesus like these people use Jesus? Are you just coming along to this wonderful church because we make beautiful coffee and we've got such beautiful people here and you've joined this beautiful crowd of people and you're finding it's really a great place to be? Sort of fits, you're a middle class community and you like the idea of being here, it makes you feel safe. And you think that by sitting here and maybe dropping a bit of money in the offering that somehow or other you and God have got this unspoken agreement going on and it's all going to be honky-dory? It's not going to be honky-dory. God is saying to you that you are under the judgment of sin to death. And the only way that you can get out from under that is to believe on Him. To believe that He is the one who has paid the price for your sin as he died on the cross and shed his blood, to believe that on the third day he rose again. For me, that happened when I knelt down beside my bed and I don't know, I didn't know half of what you know, less than half of what you knew, but knelt down beside my bed and simply prayed, Lord Jesus, if you are who you say you are, please forgive me of my sins. Please take control of my life. My life dramatically changed. As the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happened in my life, God's word came alive. I found I had new desires and the scriptures were beautiful to me. Romans 5, 8 says, But God has shown his love for us and that while we were still... Are you with me? We've only got another hour to go, so come on, let's move along. But God shows his love to us and that while we were still... 
Christ died for us. Our sin meant that Jesus came and gave his flesh and blood for us. And then he says, if we will believe upon him, this is our experience. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how do we get into Christ? We get into Christ by believing upon him as the Holy Spirit moves upon us and baptizes us, indwells us and makes us a part of the body of Christ. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that a wonderful exchange? I want to ask you, will you believe today? Will you abandon your self-righteousness and your pride? Will you abandon your attempts to modify your life and reform your life to make yourself acceptable to God all the time when you're not acceptable to God? And will you humble yourself before him and acknowledge that he paid the price for the forgiveness of your sins upon the cross? And this is your only way to receive eternal life, the forgiveness of God. Life is in Christ alone. I bought my wife a little trinket. I went for a, a ride on Friday and I ended up at a little trinket shop with little trinket people in it. And uh, I bought her a little uh, West Highland Terrier, a little uh, metal West Highland Terrier enameled. And when you uh, put your hand on its head and back and lifted it, it came apart and it was all beautiful and gold inside so you could put your, your jewellery in it. And uh, it's a trinket. <laughs> it will perish. That's not where you find life. The, our TVs, our fridges, our cars, our superannuation, they are trinkets. They are not life to us. They are just a gift from God. John twenty thirty one, and I'd like to finish with this, but these are written so that you may, what does it say? Are you with me? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'm sorry, you're trying so hard and it hadn't come up on the screen. Can we move to that last slide, brother, in John chapter 20, verse 31? It's in your Bible. But these are written, we're having a bit of trouble with that, so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to ask you to believe today. I want to ask you to actually stand up with me, and I want you to actually cry out to God and declare before him that you believe that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins, that you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he died for you, and on the third day he rose again. I want to ask you all to do that, even if you are already part of our community, that you're already born again, that you're already in the body of Christ. I want you to declare to God afresh that you believe in him. If you will, you don't have to. But if you're able to, would you please stand with me? Would you bow with me in prayer? And I'll do the praying and a few feel led of the Spirit of God, I want you to pray along with me and cry out to God and declare your belief in Him. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you and we want to say thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in Him. We believe that He is God in the flesh. We believe that he died on a cross to pay the price for our sin. We believe that he gave his body and his blood 
We believe that he was put in a tomb. We believe that on the third day he rose again. Father in heaven, we believe upon him for life, the forgiveness of sins. And we declare this before you with a heart full of gratitude, with a heart of humility. We say thank you for sending Jesus in our place. Thank you for accepting his sacrifice. Thank you for accepting us. For giving us the right to be a child of God. And we declare this before you with all of our heart, mind and soul today. We pray this in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ.